0: Well, my name is Jared Bryant. Many of you may know my cousin Chris, who plays for the world champion team on this video. I don't know why you're laughing. Okay, no, I'm just joking. Some of you, I saw the gleam in your eye, you're like, I gotta meet Jared! Anyway. um, Well, I'm excited to, to see what God has for us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it would be so easy for me to be up here and do a good job and receive all the accolades and glory. It's easy to be in front of hundreds of people and and desire the applause and approval of man. It's easy to exalt myself. It's in my sinful flesh to do so. But I pray, Father, that you would help me decrease so Christ may increase. God, every word that falls from my lips, may it be from you and not from my my own nature, my own wisdom or lack thereof. Because, God, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be worshiped. We want you to be exalted and praised and honored and adored because you're worthy of it. All this, Father, we pray in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Well, the family unit in our nation is under attack. Would you agree somewhat? I think there's some validity to that. Maybe there are many contributions, but the greatest contributing factor is not the declining moral values in our nation. It's not new political laws that have attempted to redefine the definition of marriage. It's not media or entertainment. It's more insidious than that because it's in you. It's in me selfishness. The great C.S. Lewis defined humility in this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So last week, I was working on this sermon. And it's early in the week and I'm typing. And you know, are any of those, any of you like to write? Show of hands. Okay, several of you. You know when you're writing and you just get in the zone? You know what I'm talking about? And you're typing away, you're like, oh, it's just coming together, everything's coming together. Well, it was during that time, I mean, momentum is going, and Sky calls me, my wife, and she had some questions about our budget, our family budget, and so I answered those, because it's an important question, she was working on that at the time. Five minutes later, she texts me about a question about our car. Five minutes after that, she texts me about some housing options that we're looking at, And so on and so forth. In about 30 minutes, she called or texted me six or seven times. And honestly, I was getting frustrated because I was losing my sermon mojo. (laughs) And so I pick up the phone and I'm getting ready to dial her. And this is what I'm about to say. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know how frustrated I am? I am working, doing very important kingdom work. I'm writing a sermon about humility and servanthood and putting family before yourself and you're just bothering me. <laughs> you see the irony, right? You see, it, it was in that moment. Let me, let me just tell you this, by the way. Nothing humbles you more than preaching on, a, on humility and servanthood and realizing how selfish you are. Now, I'm looking at some of you and you're like, I bet he slept on the couch that night. Well, praise God, by his grace, I did not make that phone call. Because through the Holy Spirit, he convicted me, Jared, this is not what I have called you to do. This is not how Christ lived and the example you are to follow. Friends, I struggle with the me monster me, 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 I want my needs met, my ambitions, my goals, my desires. And that's not how the kingdom of God works. In fact, if you look at the screen, at the main idea this morning, it is, it is this. The greatest followers of Christ follow his example of humble serving. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, and we're just going to dig right in. Matthew 20, verse 20, it says this: "If you have your Bible's gray, if not, uh, it should be on the screen as well." It says then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that is, James and John, these are two of Jesus's closest disciples. Their mother came up to Jesus with her sons and knelt before him before she was about to ask him for something. What a great start to the story, right? The best way you can approach Jesus is on your knees. That's how you approach a king. You don't go up to a king, hey, high five, king. No, 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 no. The correct posture before royalty is one of humility and submission and respect. So you get on your knees and you bow down before the royalty, acknowledging that you are much, much, much lower and He is much, much, much higher. In fact, kneeling symbolically says, you are greater than I. First point is this. Number one, to humble ourselves before others, we must first humble ourselves before King Jesus. And the mother of James and John does that initially. She recognizes his authority, and if only she would have stopped right there. But she doesn't. Verse 21, she prepares to ask him for something. And Jesus asks her, what do you want? I love how Jesus is so direct, right? He doesn't mince words. He gets right to the point. He knows her heart. He knows that she's just coming to ask him for something. So he says, what do you want? Verse 21, she says to him, would you now declare that my two sons are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom? Do you understand what an audacious and brash request that is? The two spots next to a ruler would be the highest positions of honor and authority and prominence in the entire kingdom except for the ruler himself. Imagine if I went up to President Trump and said, Mr. President, you don't know me. And I really don't know much about the vice president position, but is it cool if you just appoint me as vice president? This Mike Pence guy seems like a nice guy, but he's getting advanced in years. Give me a crack at it. That would be asinine, right? And here is their mother, and she is basically saying, Oh, Jesus, ruler of the entire universe, I have but a small request. Could my my two boys rule with you, with your authority and your power over everything? If it's not too much to ask. (laughs) Now, to set a little context, James and John and Peter, Jesus' closest disciples, this is like his inner circle. In Matthew 17, they're with Jesus and they're ascending up a mountain and, and as they're on the mountain, Jesus is transformed or transfigured before their very eyes. They see Jesus, in all His majesty and all his splendor, he's transformed into his divine, glorious self, as we will see Him one day in the heavenly kingdom. And it would have been, and it will be an awesome sight to behold. James and John see this, and later on, they start thinking to themselves, We know the Son of God. Like we, we are friends with him. We had fish with him this morning for breakfast. We know him, we walk with him, we talk with him. How can we ride his coattails a little bit? How can we have some of the greatness that he has? How could they have erred so greatly? So these two young men, who by the way, Jesus nicknames the sons of thunder. These sons of thunder run to their mommy And ask her to make this incredibly foolhardy request on their behalf. In verse 22, Jesus, once again cutting to the chase, addresses them directly and he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? James and John respond in haste, by the way. Oh yeah, sure, we're able. Jesus responds, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the other ten disciples heard this request, they were furious, indignant at James and John, and rightfully so. And we don't know what happened after that. Maybe some arguing broke out among the the disciples. and I, I imagine that the other ten are not innocent here. In fact, they're probably thinking, Wait a minute, wait a minute. What gives them the right? Why not me? Why didn't I think of that? What, 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 why can't I have that place of prominence? Their ambition was greatness. And so Jesus turns it around as he often did and makes it a teaching moment. Look at verse 25. He calls his disciples to himself and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that is the rulers in this world, lord it over their followers, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must first be your servant, and whoever would be first must be your slave. In the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, Jesus uses terms that basically connote worldly leadership in terms of bearing down on others from on high. In essence, it's pushing others down while you are propped up higher. I don't know if you've ever been in a human pyramid. You know what I'm talking about? A human pyramid where you have a number of people on their hands and knees, and they're at the bottom row, and then you have more people on the next row, and then more and more. I'm always on the bottom. I'm a a tall, big guy, so I always get stuck on the bottom. And so I'm there on my hands and knees, and meanwhile, someone who usually is lightweight is stepping on people's necks and backs, and they're reaching their way to the top, and they get to the top, and they get all the glory, right? Ta-da! Meanwhile, I'm on the bottom, wondering if I'm going to need a chiropractor. (laughs) See, this is how the world operates, You use others to reach the top. And we see this in media, sports, entertainment, politics. The prevailing thought is you're here to serve my needs, my wants, my ambitions, my desires. Instead of using things to serve people, we tend to use people to obtain things, whether that be success, popularity, comfort possessions, status. It's me first and everybody else second. Now, before we sling too much mud at the disciples here, let's take a look in the mirror a little bit. Think about the last time you had conflict in your family. (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, that was in the car ride here. (laughs) I don't have to think back that far. Think about the last time you had conflict in your home. Did it occur because someone wanted to be right or held in highest esteem? Could it be that we seek glory and prominence for ourselves? Are you already playing the blame game? Well, yeah, Jared, but dot, dot, dot. But yeah, yeah, you don't know my spouse. You don't understand my kids. You don't understand my parents. Yeah, but maybe you're giving your spouse what I call the marital elbow right now. Right? You know, see? Listen to what he's saying. My wife does marital counseling. She has her master's in marriage and family counseling, and she's really, really good at it. I'm not so much, but I've, I've done a little bit of marital counseling, and I've met with some couples, and inevitably, as I meet with a couple, in fact, I, I can't think of an instance where this doesn't happen. It's almost every instance. They immediately play the blame game. Well, he did this, and she did this, and you don't understand he, 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 and he did, and I did, and they did. Well, actually, it's not I did. It's almost never I did this. It's he did or she did. Fellows, listen. Men, you may be thinking, yeah, but my wife doesn't respect me like she should. I'm the head of the household. I demand respect. Husbands, you want respect. Be a respectful husband. Ephesians 5, Pastor Steve mentioned it last week. Husbands, we are to love and cherish and serve our wives as Christ did the church. And and how much did Christ love and serve the church? What did he do? He died for her. There is no sacrifice that's too great that we should not be willing to pay on behalf of our wives. Lead like Christ. Ladies, you may be sitting here thinking, well, yeah, but my husband is not the spiritual leader in our household that he should be. Can I just tell you, man, my heart breaks for you, because you're right, he should be. And I would ask you to direct your attention to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, read that, write it down, It, it addresses this very issue. Yeah, he should be the spiritual leader in your household but you can't control your husband. You can control yourself. And you can be sure that you can be a godly, influential wife regardless of the circumstances. In fact, that's what 1 Peter 3 says, that you can influence your husband with your godly conduct and how you conduct yourself in your home by being a good servant. Parents, You may be sitting here thinking, well, yeah, but my kids are disobedient. They're unruly. Of course they are. They're children. They're children. Children with a sinful nature. If they weren't disobedient, I'd be a little worried. You might be raising androids. (laughs) This is what kids do. So what do we do? Love them so much it hurts. Show them love. Love them and let it show. Spend time with them. Pray with them early and often, morning and evening. Discipline them as needed. Show them what sacrificial love looks like. Give up things to spend time with them and love them and be with them. Maybe it'll make a difference. Maybe it won't. That's not up to you. But you'll be doing the right thing. What about kids? You're not off the hook. (laughs) Children, you may be sitting here thinking, well, yeah, but my parents don't get me. Maybe, maybe not. Listen, children, when your parents were your age, phones had cords. (laughs) It's a vastly different world that you live in right now. But that's not to say that parents don't have something to offer you. You see, they are older, and generally that means they are wiser because believe it or not, they know more than you do. And so Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul, that's why he writes, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. And all the parents said, Amen. (laughs) Amen. That was with gusto, too. There you go. Church, listen. James 4, 1 perfectly summarizes it. When it says, "What, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not the selfish desires that wage war in your soul? Some of us, most of us, we need to confess to our family members our selfishness today. I would encourage you to do so. Jesus emphatically uses an imperative here. He says, it will not be this way among you. If you're going to follow me, you are not going to be like the rest of the world. And this is extremely difficult because we want to have status. We want to feel important. We have a natural inclination, a bend in our flesh to have things our way. Burger King made millions of dollars on that idea right there over 40 years. And their slogan was what? Have it your way. I didn't realize this, but last week I was doing some research, and they actually changed their slogan two years ago. It's not have it your way anymore. Do you know what it is now? It's Be your way. And according to a press release, they said the new model, listen to this, this is crazy. The new model is intended to remind people that they can and should live however they want, anytime they want. If that doesn't perfectly describe how our world views greatness, I don't know what does. Meanwhile, Jesus says, oh, you want to be great? Be a servant to others. You want to be first? Be a slave to others. He uses the Greek word diakonos, which literally means servant. It was one who waited on tables. It's where we get our word deacon. And a diakonos was very low on the totem pole of society then. It wasn't someone you wanted to be. But a, a diakonos, a servant, might receive small wages for their service. And so Jesus, just so he makes sure to get the point across, takes it up a notch, and he says, be a servant, be a diakonos, but not only a servant, but be a doulos, that is, a slave. And the term doulos was a graphic term, just like it is today, slave. It it was one who was, their whole life was dedicated to serving someone with expecting nothing in return, nothing gained in return. And there was no lower status than a slave. So Jesus is strategically using this term not to condone slavery. No, 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 no. He does not condone slavery, but to show how we must radically lower our pride and our selfishness before others. Jesus is literally redefining greatness. You want to be someone great? You want to be someone impactful in your family? Number two, lower yourself before others and serve them expecting nothing in return. What would that look like? Church, what would it look like to put others before ourselves and serve them with no ulterior motives whatsoever? Husbands and wives, you know when you give your spouse a shoulder rub? Maybe it's you do it for 10, 20 minutes. Aren't you kind of in the back of your mind thinking, I hope I get one in return? <laughs> and then when you don't, let's be honest now. Come on now. Don't you secretly kind of resent them? <laughs> hey, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, I rub your shoulders, you rub mine. This is transactional. No, 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 it is not. Service is not transactional. Maybe it's transformational. A couple weeks ago, Skye got home, and we're sitting on the couch watching TV, and she goes, my neck is so sore. Would you rub it for me a bit? I said, sure, babe. And I give her a neck rub for a total of five seconds. That tells me two things about myself. Number one, I need to hit the gym more (laughs) because I was tired after five seconds. Like, oh, I got to just start doing some bicep curls or something. But number two, I am selfish. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, we, are, we probably all struggle with selfishness. Amen? That's not an easy amen, is it? Jesus gives a beautiful illustration in John chapter 13. He's with his disciples, and he's there, and he takes his outer garment and a water basin, and he's going to each one of them, and what does he do? He scrubs and washes the disciples' nasty, disgusting, stanky feet. I don't know if you know much about the ancient Middle East, but that, not, that would have not have been a pleasant job. And Jesus does it expecting nothing in return. He's not going, okay, now you guys do me. No, no, no. Jesus just served. But the greatest example of servanthood is in verse 28. It says, but just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our example of servanthood. Jesus embodied humble servanthood and gave the supreme example. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to sacrificially give his life. It cost him his life. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. You look, look on the screens. It says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In humility consider others better than yourselves. In humility consider your family members better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant and being found in human likeness. And being made in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Folks, listen, you cannot have a greater contrast than that right there. The Son of God entering into human history to die on a cross as the lowest servant. And if anyone had the right to demand that people serve him, it would be Jesus. At the snap of a finger, he could have legions of angels serving him and attending to him. But he didn't. He just served. He put others first, expecting nothing in return. He had such a servant's heart that he came with the express purpose of dying as a ransom for many. Imagine with me, if you would that you are a lowly slave in a slave auction. And you're standing on the platform and you have been whipped and beaten, stripes on your back, you're wearing ragged clothing, shackles covering your ankles and your wrists, and you're worn down and you are tired. And you're with other people there and the auctioneer is in front of you saying, how much for this slave, for this person? While the crowd is spitting on you, do I hear 10? Do I hear 10? Ten dollars? 10 dollars? No, no. Do I hear five? Five, Five dollars. Nothing. Total silence. Do I hear one dollar? One dollar, one dollar. Silence. And then a man from the back stands up. He raises his hand and says, "I'd like to make a bid." "Yes, sir. How much would you bid?" He comes up to the front to the platform, and he grabs you by the hand and leads you off to the platform, and he takes off his very own robe and puts it on you. Takes a key and unshackles the handcuffs around your legs and your arms. He embraces you and brings you in. And as he does so, he whispers in your ear, You're free. You're free. He says, Go, be free. And you walk away, wondering what's going to happen to this man. And he goes up to the platform, puts on the clothing of a servant prepares himself to be beaten and whipped, and he takes your place in your stead. That's what we're talking about. Jesus paid the, what we call the redemption price for our ransom. He took our place. If sin is man replacing God, then the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is God replacing man. Substitutionary atonement. It's this long theological phrase, but it essentially means this. Jesus died in our place, to satisfy the wrath of God against sin so that we could have life in Him. Amen? amen. That should be a resounding amen. amen. Amen? And one who understands the depths of God's love is not one who, who loves self more than others. So, lastly, number three, the gospel should always lead us to serve others. Always. When we truly understand that Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, that is God in flesh, stepping into human history, served me in the greatest way possible by dying for me in my place. How could I possibly not live to serve others? To put it another way, servanthood arises out of hearts that delight in the freedom with which Jesus paid for us. He paid for us to set us free. So we are to serve like Christ. The hardest people to serve are the ones you're closest to. Am I right? I could be up here saying, all right, now go out and serve your neighbor, serve your classmate, serve your coworker, your employees, your boss, and you would say, amen, amen, Pastor Jared. But the minute I say, and now I want you to serve your spouse who you are fighting with currently, ooh, that stings a little bit. Serve your kids who might be difficult to deal with at times. Serve your siblings who you might not get along with so well. Well, that's considerably more difficult, isn't it? What if, this is a challenge, I'm going to challenge you guys. What if for one week you strove to serve your family, to put their needs above your own? And not legalistically like, all right, the seven days are done, now you guys can serve me. No, no. Not legalistically, but what if out of a heart that delights in Jesus, you, you, you go to your family members and say, I will serve you. How can I serve you? How can I put you before myself? What if for one week we did that? What would our families look like after that week? Would you guys like to see that? Of course you would. That'd be awesome. And you would see transformation in the family unit in our society take place. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray two things. First, I want you to pray that you would just submit your heart to Christ. Yield your heart to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I I just surrender my heart to you. I lay down my pride, my selfishness, and exalt you. I submit to your authority. In fact, I would challenge you and encourage you, if you be so bold, to kneel right where you are during this prayer time. It's just going to be a time of silent prayer. Who cares what people think? No one's going to watch you. Because kneeling is this posture that symbolizes submission to the king. Now, don't do that legalistically. God cares way more about your heart than he does your posture, and so bow your hearts before Christ. So that's the first thing, submit your hearts to Jesus, but then I want you to ask him, Lord, how can I specifically serve my family? How can I serve as you did for me?